to be a yogi. I'm Edward Reed, an aspiring yogi, making a podcast on behalf of all other aspiring yogis. Today I'll be interviewing Nick Mansi, founder of Mind Body Resilience Training. But first, go ahead and pull up Bhavas Fest at B-H-A-V-A-S-F-E-S-T dot com. Bhavas Fest will take place up in Kern County, March 31st through April 3rd of 2016. I will be presenting on April 1st beside the river. I'll be bringing my dad's old bells and dorges, and we'll be connecting with the seven primary chakras. I'll also be sharing some of the poetry of 8th century Indian yogi Padmasambhava. Bhava's Fest Yoga Festival is a four-day transformational yoga experience. Throughout the week, festival goers have access to a full roster of yoga, dance, and meditation classes. Instructors include Gene Heelman, David Sandoval, Chris Vandermeer, Maria Zavala, Rebecca Fink, Paige Yeaton, Nicole Ilaw, Danielle Fowler, Denise Stanick, Christelle Regner, Erica Burkhalter, Josie Kramer, Priya Jane and Peter DeBellis, Don Stillo, Camilla Nair, Swaraj Kare, Nick Capobianco, Ariel Miller Cohen, Robert Astalos, Daniel Stewart, Kristen Shank, Jennifer Glass, and Natasha Marvis of Core Movement will be there, and Courtney Parkin. So mark your calendars, March 31st through April 3rd, and also write down the promo code for this podcast, 2B-YOGI. That's the number 2-B-Y-O-G-I. That'll save you 20% when you sign up, and it'll also help out me in the podcast. In addition to what's on the schedule, there will surely also be unscheduled hikes and late nights around the campfire. Looking forward to that. We'll see you there. Our guest tonight... Nick Mancy is based out of Flagstaff, Arizona. He is the founder of Mind Body Resilience Training, dedicated to restoring and rebuilding the organism to carry a greater man. So let's get to that interview, shall we? Greetings. Welcome to the To Be a Yogi podcast. Hey, Edward. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So uh, are you based in Arizona? Yeah, I'm in Flagstaff. I've been here, uh, I've been in this area probably three years. Before that, I was in uh, uh, Portland for eight years. And before that, I was Phoenix for five years and Boulder for one year. And I'm from Illinois originally. Oh, nice. So kind of all over. Yeah, all over the West. West kind of draws me in. I like, uh, I like the West. I like the dirt. I like the rock. I like the terrain. I like the gravity. I like the adventure. I like the... I like the uh, the consciousness, the mentality out west. Yeah. I'm drawn to that more so than I am east. Something yeah. 
I hear that. Yeah, Joshua Tree National Park is one of my favorites. Mm, yeah. Yeah, there's something to the terrain in a place. You know, it it, it not only draws a certain person, it, it breeds a certain person, it seems. Like there's a – can you imagine being born and raised in Joshua Tree? I mean – Oh, man. You know? I'm was, so curious when I see the people walking around. I'm like, wow, these people – they're like desert people. It's cool. It's, uh-huh. you know, they're artists. They, they, I mean, artists who don't care if anybody looks at their art, which is different from LA. LA, everybody's, everybody cares what people think. Yeah. It's a trip. Yeah. So, uh, lizard people, right. <laughs> so you're a yogi, you're a yoga teacher. Yeah. I've been teaching yoga since Phoenix. So, uh, let's see, that's been about 15, 16 years I've been teaching and, uh, I've pretty much, uh, well, let's see, probably, 12 of that has been full-time, and I started teaching, you know, health clubs and studios in Phoenix, and then went up to, uh, well, in Phoenix, I was also an outdoor guide, so I was doing that, and cycling, and racing bikes, and coaching cycling, and teaching spinning classes, and uh, so I think it's been, I've been teaching and guiding for a long time, and I got to uh, uh, Portland and taught full time again and then got a little a little burnout with the public yoga mm-hmm. scene i felt there was a lot of people doing it and that was great but there were also a lot of teachers and i felt like i was just one in many and it was almost like preaching to the choir it was like they were taken care of but then there's this i thought there's this whole other group of people that aren't doing yoga there are many groups of people that aren't doing yoga but there's pop uh, percentage of the population that wasn't doing yoga and I thought maybe I just start reaching out to them so I started teaching through a an organization in Portland called Living Yoga a nonprofit that was taking yoga into prisons treatment centers um, who else were there I don't know other populations but I started teaching through them and started teaching for Oregon Department of Corrections and taught in medium medium and minimum security and the treat the men's treatment centers there and all all these populations that uh, these private sector populations were typically uh, males. I would I'd preferred that at that point. I felt that uh, there was an element missing out of the male population too. But anyway, I, uh, prisons, treatment centers. Uh, what else? Uh, I did a, a group that was. Uh, let's see, they had their own nonprofit going. I met a federal agent. He was a black guy. He had these guys from uh, North Portland that were uh, this group of black domestic violence parolees, I guess is how I would describe it best. Um, They were out and they were through this program of anger management and this and that. And I convinced him to let me have a go at them at one of their meetings, uh, try to sell this stuff to them. And sure enough, I did. And they were real receptive to it. And I worked with these guys for a while. What a great group of guys to work with and there was something about you know getting into these populations whether it be prison or treatment centers or yoga was fairly new to them but they were just so so eager to learn something to help them substantially i guess and they felt i think inherently that it was going to be a substantial uh whatever catalyst for being different or better or a better person or what have you. And, uh, I really resonated with it. And it also allowed me to be more me than I think the yoga scene did. Um, with the yoga scene, I, I never really fit into it. Um, I always felt a little uncomfortable and I think it's just be, 
because there's an expectation, there's an image, there's a, uh, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, there's a, uh, what's assumption? like a social, social assumption. There's a word for that. Uh, right. stigma. There's a stigma associated with it that you had to live a certain image and be a certain way, even if that included being nice. A lot of people don't, didn't like feeling obligated to be nice. I think inherently, whether, you know, whether they know it or not, you know, on a conscious level, they think something's going to be asked of them, I feel. There, a lot of people are intimidated by yoga because they feel like there's going to be something asked of them that they're not able to come up with right away. And I wanted to create an environment where there's nothing asked of you other than to do the work. You can be whoever you want. You can throw a fit. You can uh, cuss. You can smoke. You know, if you're still smoking, you can, you know, not smoke in class, of course, right. but um, and continue that until your body chooses not to do those things anymore. You right. can still eat fast food until your body chooses not to do that anymore. And inevitably, if you are doing the practice regularly and doing it right, there is going to come that point where your body isn't going to want to do that stuff anymore yeah. because you're getting in touch with the way your organism feels. And, and when it's healthy, when it's open, when it's, um, when it's circulating, when it's lining up with alignment and everything else, what it demands is something that a lot of people aren't familiar with. But I think, again, inherently we know it's what it's going to ask of us. It's going to ask us to be a better person. It's going to ask us to, uh, to, over, to face shit and overcome obstacles. And it doesn't matter. That's it. It doesn't matter what you wear or uh, how you talk or who you hang out with. I mean, that's sure, certainly reflective of one's consciousness, but it's not, there's no obligation there. So I wanted to create an environment where people were allowed to be whoever the fuck they want to be. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and as long as they're doing the work, you know, and they do it with, with, uh, like a warrior, you know, use that breath, like, uh, like a sword and break some shit down, you know, just be the destroyer. Yeah. Destroyer. If that's, you know, you want to go into the male part of it, you want to be, and that's certainly my population. So I taught like this to be the destroyer, you know, to be, to, to destroy the illusion, kind of like a fight club mentality where he's destroying, you know, what he's been conditioned to be. And he developed this personality, this other personality to bring him out of it, you know, the Tyler to bring him out of this illusion. So they were doing it with fighting, but they weren't doing it with anger. I mean, they were angry, but not at each other who they were fighting. They were hugging afterwards, you know, right, but except for that one time Ed Norton got pissed at the blonde guy, but yeah, you know, Oh yeah, he slipped. Yeah. Brad 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 Pitt was giving him extra attention, so he wanted to make sure that right. Yeah, still, that's still good. number one in his uh, schizophrenic. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Trip. yeah, I actually i I resonate pretty much with everything you're saying. I I was trained. One of the schools I was trained in was is called Broga. It's Bro Yoga, but that's kind of the idea is that it's um specifically kind of targeting people kind of mostly like in the Midwest and the South who, you know, men whose doctors maybe said, hey, you really ought to do yoga. And then they started thinking of girls in stretch pants and were like, oh, I don't think I, you know, but, uh, you know, when they go to a broga class, they kick off their boots and and uh, do some yoga with the guys, you know, and then afterwards, yeah. 
you know, yeah, fist yeah. bump, and then they have some organic apples, and I think that's great. I I don't work, I don't teach that anymore, but I still, uh, you know, am for that. I think that my, you know, my dad died kind of young, so I think that he probably would have lived longer if he had taken up a yoga practice. He got into the meditation aspect of it. He got into bells and and uh, you know dorjas, and he was really passionately interested in all of those things but he just would never have gone to a yoga class or done yeah. done downward dog or anything like that so you know so i'm trying to take what he passed on to me and then and then upgrade it you know and then and actually incorporate all of those things and oh good good um so uh with that uh was your dad not like a uh a joining guy like would he not join clubs and join lines and join groups of people was he more of an independent thinker doer yeah well he he would join you know a class he would take a class you know there were a few seminars and classes he took in the 70s uh but he you know he and he would occasionally join a group he got involved with uh rama the guy who turned out to be a big scam and uh but but he also had a teacher named andre de Passano, who not a lot of people know of I'm, i cover him on my other podcast the esoteric nerd but uh yeah he he wanted to do it on his own he had his own little shrine at home and you know that's how for me yoga was very sacred when i was doing it in the fire escape at work alone you know while nobody was looking and that's kind of how i i pulled myself out of you know kind of this the chair i had sunk into over te- the course of 10 years put on my tibetan bells pandora station and just do an hour of yoga for myself only for you know mind body that's it just to make make a yeah. better temple for for the inner indwelling Buddha nature to reside and be at peace. I tell you, I tell you, there's really something to be said for uh, for having the the desire to do that, the uh, the push yeah. to do that too often. I mean, there's something to be said for joining a yoga class and just jumping on board and facing your stuff. You know, you're going to face your stuff, but to actually motivate yourself to do it for yourself and not needing the collective, not needing the collective energy, you know, to f- not needing a batteries to feed off of and right. the class right. just using your self, you know, just, just that right there. There's really something to be said for that. Yeah. I'd like to, uh, your dad sounds like uh, he was an interesting oh, guy. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll send you um, – he wrote a book called Transformations, and I, I have a Facebook group where I have some of his quotes and stuff. He was uh, an English teacher for 30 years, so he would try to incorporate ideas and you know philosophy and Kabbalah and yoga and you know try to open, open some eyes while he was teaching English. And uh, he wrote, mm-hmm. wrote articles for different uh, New Age and spiritual magazines and things like that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and that's what I uh, that's what I kind of look for in the groups that I teach. I I want to encourage people not to, you know, I don't want to necessarily be their teacher. I want to be their temporary teacher. Yeah. I want to show them how to do it, how to do it, what I feel is right, and um, how to. When I say right, I just mean efficient, thorough, and substantial. You know, I might as well make the most of your time. Um, and all we're doing really is conditioning the body to to line up with. The deepest part of us, the deepest part of you, whether we want to call it spirit or soul, right? Or intuition or whatever you want to call Stardust, it, God, yeah. Or, you know, it's just we want to line our organism up to suit that, you know. And it's, you know, uh, I'm big into, uh, I'm a true believer in the CrossFit, the functional movement, um, exercises in this and that. But if you're stacking too much muscle 
and strength, if you have too much of that, it's like a pit bull that's untrained or it's like a Labrador that's like has no discipline. It's just kind of all over it's the place. It's kind of detached from the body, really. It's like, they, it's like a, coming at the body from the standpoint of, I don't know, just this sort of mechanistic Physical. way of looking at things like just lift it, you know, lift 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 without actually you know breathing without taking in all the like i like the when people can take the what yoga has to offer and bring that into those other forms of exercise and improve, improve yeah, yeah 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 it becomes utilitarian without a soul yeah. without a, and i think unless you got a good song going you know, yeah. other movements they emphasize on, on proper movement and all that and not just crossfit but functional exercise programs in general yeah they, they're focusing on functional movement, and that's what I really like, because I really like the organism to be functional. But then to line the organism up, like oh, draw back the shoulders, make the neck long, um, stretch oxygen into every single part of the body, every cell. That's life that you're taking in, and make sure there are no blocks. Because, you know, uh, it, everything's mind-body. CrossFit's mind-body to, you know, a certain extent. What you're, you're getting strong. You're getting your mind strong. Um, you're getting it functional. You're getting it, uh, flex, I don't know if it's flexible or not, but you're getting it very functional and powerful. Um, just have a heart. Just put a heart into yeah. it. Put, put a soul into the movement, what you're doing, and everything else. And so to rotate the shoulders back, rotate the hips in, or we're basically gaining access to all parts of the body, every rotation of the joint and this and that, and putting oxygen in there and chasing out in doing so, we're chasing out the tightness, we're chasing out the dis-ease, dis-ease, and putting in more ease and more, I guess, alignment with, you know, you're lining your body up just a little bit more, you know, and sinking, if you're working towards stillness in your practice and you're pumping oxygen in, working towards stillness in your practice and you're chasing everything out, then if you're able to sit still and be what you are without all that power, without all the, the utilitarian body, if you can be something in stillness and feel like happy yeah. and joyous and at home, yeah, at home, to feel at home, then, you know, I'm a big proponent in, in all that stuff and all the movement. But I just feel it's just not, it's not a good use of our time to exercise a lot without doing that. And sometimes it just comes naturally, like a runner's high or, you know, I need to, I need to be out on my bike a lot. So I'm out on my bike a lot. I need to be hiking a lot. So in the, in the dirt a lot to make me feel alive. So whatever it is we're doing, if, even if it's not yoga, maybe it's Tai Chi, maybe it's hiking, maybe it's sledding or skiing or whatever. Yeah. Um, as long as that's bringing us to that that place, I am a fan of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm not sure where I was going with oh, that. Oh, yeah. But, no, uh, no. It's all good, though. The thing that came to mind for me was that, you know, culturally, it seems like we're up against the smartphones, you know, and, and a few other things, the cubicles, the freeways, because we got all these people who are focused on – I mean, because when you're on the freeway, it, rightfully so, you got to focus on the car in front of you. And if they slam on their brakes, you got to – 
slam on your brakes, regardless of your body position, regardless of the trauma that you're putting your hips and you know your low back through and your kidneys through, and with the sudden adrenal bursts all the time, like we were constantly being chased by tigers. And you know, I mean, the 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 phones, people completely forget their body position. Sometimes, you know, kind of half jokingly, but but seriously, when I walk in to a class and I see half the classes on their smartphones, I'll say, okay, everybody, keep your phones. No, 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 keep them out. This is how to use a smartphone without screwing your neck and your back up and see what you're doing here. Just stay right where you are. And, you know, sometimes I'll call people out on, you know, just nicely on, you know, on this, see this posture. This is anti-yoga. Like when you're not in your yoga class, you're still doing yoga. It's just, you're, you're doing it very poorly if this is what you're doing. Funny. I'm not, yeah, I'm not disappointed in you for having a phone in class. I'm disappointed for, for the, the way you're using yeah. 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 Make a fist, put your fist under your elbow, sit up tall, long across the collarbone, relax your shoulders, tall in the spine, flip through your newsfeed. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Or just, throw it, or just throw that damn thing out. Yeah, the that, well, ideally, but people aren't going to do that. <laughs> you, you can get the Insight Timer and pay four bucks, and then you can use an app on your phone to not use an app on your phone for 10 minutes. So uh, I guess without digressing from our uh, initial direction of this conversation, when I uh, left Portland eight years ago, uh, I did so, well, one, because of the rain. Mm-hmm. Um, two, because it... Uh, I really wanted to work with with uh, military. I wanted to work with veterans, and there wasn't a big population in Portland. So uh, I also wanted the sun, so I came to Arizona. Mm-hmm. And uh, soon after that, I, w- I was at a party in Sedona. I remember it was a 4th of July party. I'm talking to, to a lady about what I did um, with yoga. And she said, well, you gotta you got to meet this guy, David Berselli. He's teaching people how to discharge the central nervous system by shaking and tremoring and this and that. Mm. So uh, I got a hold of him, and sure enough, he lived in Scottsdale, so he wasn't far away. I sent him my my videos and told him the populations I've been working with, and he says, uh, well, um, why don't you come on down to Scottsdale and show you what I do? So I went down there. He showed me uh, this technique that he has that induces shaking initially in the legs but in the entire body gets going it's through the psoas muscle and it discharges the overload of fight flight or freeze that's been worked into the central nervous system that's directly connected to the brain through the brain stem and creates neurosis mm-hmm. ptsd so i was always so proud of my program that I had put together this three part series. I put it on video one under one breath yoga mm-hmm. level one, two and three. And I worked a long time to get to the point where, uh, my program was solid and thorough and efficient and as, as much as I could be. But I, I think maybe I knew something was missing. And when I met him and he showed me this, I knew that my program was now thorough. You know, now that I have this, now that I know this, because there's not a deeper, part of the organism than the central nervous system and the brain. And there's not a more electric part of the organism, you know? So if I could discharge that, you know, I was blown away because, you know, I've always thought trauma is, you know, something you got to take pills for, something you got to, you know, work through in yoga, work through the peripheral nervous system and the, the sympathetic nervous system and all that and clean this stuff out. And I thought the twisting and everything was getting out of the central nervous system enough. But once he showed me that, I was like, my, my program wasn't 
wasn't as thorough as I thought it was, and now it is. So because of this, I felt, wow, there are so many people walking around with an unnecessary overload of trauma in their central nervous and in their brains that creates stress, which creates more stress, which creates more mm. stress, and just piles on, you know, dysfunctional thought. Yeah. As we all as we all know, thought is powerful. So if it's dysfunctional thought, it's creating, it's creating, and it's stacking more on. And before you know it, you know, you're you're just a mess. So I give I give the example of someone gets in a car accident and they're shaken up and their body's shaking and they're or they're okay physically, but other than that, they're shaking and people are trying to keep them from shaking. Oh, stop her, stop him or her from shaking. You don't want to do that. You want to lay them on the ground. You want to let them flail and give them the opportunity to do that. You know, you want to let it this. The, the, let the organism discharge right. all the overcharge. That makes sense. So that's uh, that's a traumatic example of someone that suffers trauma. Another one would be someone that's been emotionally or psychologically or physically or sexually abused all their life, all their childhood. And you just over time, you just build that up and build that up and build that right. up. And by the time you know, they're they're dating in their twenties, they're they're a mess. Yeah. You know, they're looking for people to fulfill that same comfort comfortable place for them, which is you know, abuse. And, uh, that just leads to more and more and more. And before you know it, you know, well, you know how bad things can get, things can get pretty bad. So when you think about it, you think when I thought about it before, I thought, Oh, what a mess. You know, they would take, it would take years of yoga, you know, to get through that years of Tai Chi, years of meditation to get through all that counseling, you know, that was, that was the big thing. And now I don't believe that. I don't feel that way. I don't feel the same way. Because of what I've seen, I got a, soon after I got, I met Berselli and learned this technique, I got a contract with the military out in San Diego with the Marine Corps and uh, Miramar Air Station. And it was a year long contract and I went out there and I taught Marines and um, not, not long into it. And I gave it a good shot, maybe five months, four or five months into it. I determined that this wasn't going to happen. These were active duty and they're not ready to discharge. They're not ready to take what I have to offer. They're not ready for it. And I, at that, you know, at that time, I was like, I got to go after veterans. Mm. You know, people that are out, they're not, right. they're not on charge anymore. They're not in that hurt locker where they need to survive. You know, they need to discharge the central nervous right. system. And when I, you know, also what I realized at the time, after my experience with working with people with this. Uh, program that I put together, uh, incidentally is called mind body resilience training. I went from one breath yoga and called it mind body resilience training. I just kind of left the yoga word okay. out because, uh, just the populations I was dealing with. And right. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be part of, part of that anymore. I, I felt it wasn't that names weren't necessary. I just wanted to tell them what they're doing. You're making your mind and body resilient and, you know, you're breaking it down and making it resilient. And I'll get into that in a second. But I also determined that because their central nervous systems, and I believe this to be true, not just for uh, uh, military, but for everybody, whoever's got a human organism, mm -hmm. you know, um, because their central nervous systems have been affected, we'll just use that term, they're going to be stronger if healed and discharged. They're going to be stronger than someone's nervous system that hasn't been affected. And what reminded me of this was what you were saying about... Uh, I guess people being reactive and keeping people from being reactive. Yoga keeps people steady and it keeps them calm and this and that. And in traffic, you know, if someone cuts you off, you know, if you would have known me at uh, uh, 20 years old or in my 20s, uh, I would I would blow up. I would snap. I would feel an overwhelming sense of injustice yeah. and 
snap at people. And my big downfall was fighting and just getting into fights and getting myself into trouble and this and that because of my anger issue. But now is not the case. But what I have benefited from that is my, there was this charge I would get when I would get in a fight. I would get drawn to a fight. I would see a fight breaking out and I would move towards it. And a sec, the second I would see that fight breaking out, I would just have tunnel vision and move towards it. And something would overtake my body. It wasn't like evil entity or anything like that, but my central nervous system would charge. But it would charge in a way that where my chest was up and my shoulders were back. And I was about to go over there and, you know, fight for some sort of injustice. I don't know. It wasn't noble by any means, my motivation for doing it. It was more of the charge. Right. And I would walk away feeling charged and feeling good and powerful. And that's why I kind of bring up the Fight Club reference because I, I kind of identify with that movie. It really wakes yeah. you up, you know, because it's a fight, flight, or freeze they're dealing with. They're trying to kill each other, you know. And then same with uh, MMA and fighting and martial arts and this and that. There's something that charges your central nervous system. And when you go through life not uh, not stimulating your central nervous system so much – it becomes weak and unused, just like a muscle, just like a bicep. You don't use your bicep all your life. When you get, you know, in your 40s, it's going to be weak. And by that point, your body's starting to break down a little bit and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so these vet, taking it back to these veterans or any of these populations I work with, I felt if I do heal these guys, this is a lot of male energy that's being released back into our culture, back into society. And we all know how powerful male energy is, and we also know how destructive and dysfunctional it can be if not maintained and guided in the right direction. So therefore, I felt if these guys heal, they're going to be powerful and they're going to be wise because they're doing it in the right way. I'm not just discharging their nervous system and leaving them hang. I'm taking them through yoga. I'm taking them through meditation and waking them up. So imagine a, Alex gray drawing of the most powerful warrior or painting of the most powerful, you know, male warrior. What would that look like? What, what would those chakras look like? And I know I might be getting a little esoteric. No, for no, some it's good. Audience. I like it. But, uh, what would that look like? Well, the fucking shoulders would be back. The chest would be up. It would be strong. It would have muscle and it would be illuminating. You know, it would be, there would be a fucking Kundalini snakes curling straight up the spine and these badass wings at the top, yeah. you know, and, uh, and it would, they would be carrying a sword and they would have wings on their back. And, you know, I mean, it's lit. I don't know. What's, is there a limit to, you know, how powerful a, a, a male human can be and how conscious a male human can be? I don't think we've seen that. I mean, I don't think we've seen that yet. I think the human species is changing. There's no blueprint. We're, of course, you know, subject to our own direction, the way we go collectively and individually. But, you know, it just, if there is a powerful warrior that we haven't seen yet, I felt it could be military. You know, it could be, it could be a veteran. It could be one of these guys that have seen and felt and witnessed the worst of the worst and imagine getting someone like that to experience the best of the best. And it's only those, I feel, that can sometimes experience the best of the best. You know, I, I know a lot of psychics. You know, I lived in Sedona for a while. There's a lot of really powerful psychics. And I swear every one of them has had a tumultuous life. Um, they've had a, 
a lot of them have had a tragic life and it's that that's been kind of the catalyst to make them who they are today and these spirit these uh conscious super conscious spiritual shaman that can help us can move us forward um can heal a lot of the wounds and turn us on to uh, new dimensions and yeah i'm definitely getting too esoteric for the audience i don't but. think so no i mean uh the, the some of the audience is uh, actually coming from the esoteric community uh, okay, but good, I, good, I i good. wanted to throw in that uh just kind of in in that same vein that it was former Genghis Khan soldiers that uh well a lot of them Ooh. became uh the early Tibetan Buddhist monks. Ooh. So yeah, the actual ancestors of of a lot of that people I there. It. I love it. I'm going to look into yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean that. it's, it's it, I had sort of, you know, a past life flash there for a second when I heard that and thought Whoa, like just, or at least, you know, maybe a creative writing flash, you know, whichever, uh, or an Akashic record flash, you know, like wanting to tell the story of the, of the soldier of Genghis Khan that, I mean, just, I, I don't know if you, if you're a fan of Dan Carlin's hardcore history, but if you listen Uh to his 18 hour story of, uh, of gang, of the rise of Genghis Khan, and then, uh, contemplate that some of those guys ended up becoming monks. So yeah, you can kind of see how, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, Dan Carlin. Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Okay. Um, so let, let me uh, wrap this up. So uh, so I felt like uh, these guys could be, you know, leaders mm-hmm. for the, the coming of age, whatever that is. And I definitely think there is something going on. There's an acceleration of consciousness, you know, and it, I'm sure the age of information that we're living yeah. in is playing a role. That and propelling us and and this and that and things are ex- escalating right now and I truly feel that you know there's been a destruction of humanity or this planet um, f- I think five times now four times mm. and they say we're on the cusp of the fifth um, humanity getting wiped out or most of us getting wiped out or whatever and I feel that there's some truth to that because if you look at every religion they're all talking about some sort of end of days. I'm not saying that, you know, doom and gloom, we're going we're gonna to eat shit, but... How does that song, the R.E.M. song, It's the End of the World as We Know It? And I Feel Fine? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, but I do, feel, I do feel that if we don't sort through the thing... At this moment, if we do not sort through the things that are keeping us from being closer to our creator, our, you know, uh, truest nature, truest nature. Yeah. Let's call it that. If we don't work through that stuff, there will be pain and suffering as we accelerate more. I don't know what that'll look like exactly, but I do believe that it's happening now and people are starting to suffer. Consequently, people are starting to do more yoga. They're starting to do, you know, they're starting, they're gaining a sense of self-inquiry for, I guess you could put it that way. Um, But if they, if they do work through this stuff with the acceleration, and I think it's definitely possible to do at an accelerated rate because we're moving at an accelerated rate right now. There's, it's possible to do quickly um, with these modalities we have now. Um, I feel that there's going to be the opposite of that. There's so there, both of them are maybe going to happen simultaneously, um, but there's going to be a transcendence of some something, some consciousness 
something I don't know what it's going to look like. I haven't been there. I mean, I kind of do um, with the ayahuasca, and we can get into that later if you want. But I do. <laughs> there's going to be um, a major. I think six months from now is going to be unrecognizable. Hmm. A year. I think we're moving at that rate of speed at this point. Uh, a couple years ago, I thought it was going to be then. I thought it was going to be in six months because it was accelerating, but it's still accelerating. It's moving fast. It keeps accelerating. Yeah, it does. It's like uh, circling the drain. Not to be not to be negative about it, but it's just like a vortex. Right. The Buddha says, "Don't cling," or "Don't." Well, it gets translated, "Don't desire." But I like uh, Alan Watts points out that "cling" is a better word. When you cling to the things that are, like you said, going down the drain, then it's pain and suffering. But if you let go, and because if it's going down the drain, it needs to go down the drain. That's what toilets are nice. for. I like that. So uh, San Diego, yeah. So year contract, I ended it in six months. And uh, I moved back to Sedona with an idea of what I wanted to do. And that was to take veterans out into nature, use my guiding background and my love for the outdoors and take veterans out in nature to do mind-body resilience training, um, but not just mind-body resilience training, to ride bicycles. Uh, so I put together Southwest Bikepackers. I'm putting together Southwest Bikepackers. Um, Southwest Bikepackers, the main route is from Scottsdale, which is Phoenix area, uh, all the way up through up the uh, rim, the Mogollon Rim, um, so we're climbing an elevation going north on north in Arizona on fire roads on bike packing mountain bike packing bikes. So we got all our gear with us and uh, 10 days up through Navajo, maybe Hopi res and cut over to the Grand Canyon. So it's 10 days of fatiguing and breaking down and being in the dirt, living off the land, being close to the ground, minimal, very, 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 very minimal um, hours of meditation a day, doing all the trauma release and uh, the yoga and jumping in water and just, you know, camaraderie and taking 10 guys out at a time. And I'm just focusing on men right now, but I'll do any group, you know, I'll take any group out. I'll take take kids out or whatever. But it's it's a transformational experience. It's not necessarily a vacation, although there is vacation aspects to it for sure. Jumping in water and crystal clear water off of waterfalls is definitely a vacation to me. And uh so the idea is to transform in 10 days as much as a human organism can transform in 10 days. And I think it's, that's the, the nature aspect of that um, lends itself to that, just that being as much as possible, you know, using nature as well. If we're doing it in a room, a gymnasium or something, you know, it's going to be effective and all that. But to be cradled in the, you know, nurtured in mother nature, you know, doing solo sleeps to where, you know, everybody's a hundred yards apart and, uh, out in the wild by themselves every night. Um, no protection, um, no food, just, you know, I'm not going to starve people or dehydrate people, but, but no food, no water, and just sit and let all your shit come up. But the, um, so that's what I'm working on now. I'm living in Flagstaff now and uh, working on raising money for that, putting together crowdfunder and trying to get this operation rolling. Nice. So, and it, it goes, it takes me back to the whole veteran thing and all these populations I work with, their nervous systems have been stimulated i want to clean them out and rebuild them and that's where the resilience part comes in so it's not just uh, you know a lot of the yoga 
classes in the yoga world is to break down. Right? There's a breaking down. It needs to happen. The breaking down needs to happen. But simultaneously, there's a strengthening taking place, sure, because you're using your body weight to hold you up in a lot of these positions and these stretches. They're weight-bearing in your own weight. But there's a resilience aspect to it that I've gotten into lately that I feel is very, very important for the times coming. And resiliency on a mind-body level is jumping jacks. It's uh, jumps, jumping up in the air like a squat, but jumping, um, starting out squatting, of course, and working yourself up to jumping and landing properly in that functional movement that I was talking about with CrossFit and functional movement uh, programs in general. I kind of throw an element of that into it. But the resilience, you know, on a mind level, it needs to happen because there's going to be adversity when this, you know, be, and there is more these days. If you look at the news, look at what's going on, look at what's going on in your friends' lives. I mean, it seems to me everybody, I don't know what it's like in California, but I know that uh, this far west into the into the hills here, I don't know if that anything, has anything to do with it, but people's shit's coming up. A lot of people are facing their stuff, but yeah. they're doing it. You know, they're suffering, but they're doing it. They're facing it. They're going into it. And, uh, you know, Facebook's a good a good barometer for that. You see people on there, you know, going through stuff, but the way they're talking, they're talking, you know, they're, they're choosing the right memes. They're, they're, uh, they're talking in the right way. My friends are, and everyone's got their own group of friends, but yeah. I think people are doing it. They're waking up. But what I'm trying to encourage is resiliency to the adversity, um, to where when, you know, your girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife does leave you, you don't collapse for three years. You collapse for two years or one year or one month. Or you don't collapse at all. You just fall to one knee. Because you've been doing jumping jacks and you've been doing squats and you've been doing them from a place of where you've been doing your yoga from and where you've been doing your trauma release from. You have where you're doing your meditation from. So you become more resilient in that way, stronger and more vital and uh, more resilient. And if you make your practice, if you really know how to practice, make the most of your time, um, the practice becomes efficient, um, thorough, and substantial. That's the three words that I try to encourage people to, to follow there, you know. Make your practice efficient, make it thorough, and make it substantial. So efficient would be access, uh, stretching into uh, all parts of the rotation of the joints and the muscles and trying to use as many of the muscles as possible in any given yoga practice. And thorough would be matching the effort you're putting out with breath, with enough breath, matching the breath with the, and vice versa. So for instance, if someone was practicing, uh, um, hypo breath breathing, hypo breath way, They'd be doing too much physically, and the, the cells that are uh, asking something of them that are trying to open up are not receiving enough oxygen. They're not breathing enough. Hmm. So that wouldn't be efficient to me. On the other end of that, you could be breathing too much for what you're doing, and you'd be wasting oxygen and wasting energy, and you would feel panicked. The other way, I guess, would not not enough oxygen coming in would be a feeling of contraction. You'd be contracting and, and feeling like the world's closing in on you. The other way would be like you're opening up too fast and you can't get a handle on what's coming up. That would be hyper practice. Right. So to match those, to get that right is not hard to do. There's a feeling associated with a thorough yoga practice. It's 
matching what you're doing with the oxygen you're taking in, keeping the oxygen steady, the breath steady, and meeting that with the physical demand. And it, then it doesn't become two processes, the body and the breath, you know, the, the, the physical effort and the breath. That's, it becomes one thing. One thing is happening. You, you're, you're doing yoga. Yeah. You know, it just, the, the, the oxygen is sinking and getting sucked into the body. And all this stuff is coming up and out. And when you hit that point in your yoga, when I hit this point in my yoga practice, you know, it's usually, I can do it five minutes in. Um, it usually takes me at least five minutes to get to that point where, oh, shit, everything's going to be all right. You know, yeah. previously, I wasn't thinking that. Previously, I was so tunnel vision that, you know, the world's closing in on me and this is permanent. This is going to last forever. But then I start breathing and movement, moving. I start to, you know, I start to say to myself, oh, shit, that's right. Yeah. It's light at the end of that tunnel. Uh, everything's going to be okay. I'm back in that place where nothing's going to affect me. And if I'm doing jumping jacks and I'm doing a squats, not only is nothing going to affect me, but I'm going to move into it. I'm a male. I have a lot of male energy. I'm going to move into adversity. I'm going to move into that and dissolve that shit. Kind of like Tonglen meditation. I love that meditation because Tonglen meditation, it takes the thing that's bothering you. You take that. You don't move that aside and breathe. You take that. You put it right in front of you and you breathe into it and you dissolve it and you keep doing it. It takes a while. It takes a while. It sucks to give so much of your energy to something you hate, but you're not. You're dissolving it. You're breaking it down. You're destroying it. You're becoming some sort of Shiva, some sort of destroyer of that. that so, and the resiliency makes makes me helps me do that. I'm 47 now. I uh, I have to do jumping jacks to keep from dragging my ass up the stairs. <laughs> I want to bounce up the stairs, you know? Yeah. I want to bounce through my day a little more. To be a little more bouncy um, is important to me. And the squats, the jumps, those are the most powerful movement in the body. And the hip is the most neglected in the human body. So the, the joint that that's the biggest joint and it the more it's neglected, the more it can collect disease. And then next thing you know, you got to replace your hip at 60. You got to go through that bullshit. You know, you don't want to do that. Right. So uh, let's keep the body open, resilient, and lined up with spirit as much as we can. And I think a large part of that in our culture today, that a large part of it that's overlooked in our culture today is the central nervous system. I, I really want, I want, I want to encourage all teachers out there to learn this technique, um, I don't want to hoard it. You know, mm -hmm. when it, I think it should be as common as pranayama, and it certainly is easy to learn as pranayama. Is there but a it, website they can uh, pull up easily to find that? I mean, I, I know that you're teaching that in San Diego, uh, but I, you had gotten it from. I was. I'm not now, but uh, my website is uh, Nick Mancy and uh, Nick Mancy WordPress. Mm -hmm. You can find, easily find my website. But the guy that taught it to me is David Berselli, The For yoga teachers, for mind-body teachers that really know, that really have an intuition on, even Reiki teachers, have an intuition on the body and, and have an intelligence already, this technique is not hard to learn. Um, well, you could go through his training, um, spend a lot of money and learn it if you don't have the intuition. I mean, I don't know. A lot of money is relative. I just, uh, 
I just don't think it's necessary. It's like going to a pranayama teacher when I can pull up a video on YouTube, an instructional video video from someone that is reputable and I trust, and I could learn it just as much from watching them and then taking that and then experiencing it through what they taught me, and then I learn it. Right. Then I have so you don't it. need to go broke to learn it. If you, right, don't, if you right. don't have the money, look on YouTube. If you have the money, sure, fine, seek out the teacher. I mean, if you, if you can spare it. So, uh, but there, I will say this though. I got to say this. I got to give this, uh, um, disclaimer that there is with this trauma release, there is, it's powerful. There is a uh, possibility of flooding that too much comes out too fast and a person can disassociate and not know where they are or who they are. In which case, there are techniques to bring the person out of it instantly. Hmm. So, um, so it might be good to learn from someone. There's intelligence to it. There is a, a deep intelligence to this thing. So that's why it's important to, I think, to already be a healer, to already have an intuition of teaching before doing something as deep as this. Because messing with the muscle tissue and the, the baggage in the muscle tissue and the suffering and disease in the muscle tissue is one thing. But to go into the central nervous system and into the brain is a whole nother. So right. um, it's it's uh, it's maybe a direction to consider for those who have been teaching a while. I can I can teach it. I teach it on the phone. It's not hard to teach. You just have to be taught a lot of this stuff. Uh, so what I've been doing lately is uh, I've been taking veterans through trauma release exercising, I call it trauma release discharge or trauma discharge, um, on the phone. And, uh, I don't charge much because, you know, it's on the phone and, and I could be uh, laying down in my bed while teaching it and not have to leave the comforts of my own home to do it. So it's pretty, pretty affordable. Um, and, uh, and talking to them for an hour and it's interesting to see what comes up. You know, I just ask them, I just have a conversation with them. I'm not probing them too much, but I'm definitely asking a lot of questions. And uh, they're shaking on the ground as they're talking to me and to see what comes up. Um, they say crying, shaking, and talking about it. Um, community is are the best ways of um, relieving trauma, getting trauma out of the body. Certainly, you know, Kriya Yoga, which I think, some Americans took and made iRest. Have you heard of iRest? Uh, no, but I'm right next to Self-Realization Fellowship. Oh, okay. Are you? Yeah. Oh, in, uh, I'm in Highland Park next to Mount Washington. They're, uh, they're headquarters here in Mount Washington, but uh, there's also the Pacific Palisades, the Lake Shrine with Gandhi's ashes and stuff. So Kriya Yoga is kind of around. Okay. So, uh, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going, but... Oh, sorry uh, about that. <laughs> Derailed. That's right. Well, there, uh, was a, there was another guy who had Americanized Kriya Yoga, you were saying? Or somebody did. Some company has. I didn't. I haven't looked into oh, it. Okay. Uh, okay. Someone just told me that... I heard of Kriya Yoga, and someone told me, oh, yeah, it's... Uh, or I had heard of iRest, and someone told me, oh, yeah, it's just Kriya Yoga. I was like, oh, okay. So I haven't even looked into it to see if that's actually actual, but I believe them. They're reputable. So I think uh, it's not... But it's not important what you call it. I think they're just calling it that to make a business out of it and whatever. But I don't necessarily want to do that um, with my body resilience training. I just want to get people to 
I want to be accessible to people as much as possible and turn people on to the, these modalities of efficient healing. And it is very efficient. I work with, I sell packages of 10 if I'm doing something over the phone. I sell packages of 10 if I'm doing something in person to individuals. It's 10 consecutive. They got to block out 10 consecutive days. So that 10 consecutive days, as you know, you know, if you do 10 consecutive, you know, days of hot yoga or yoga or anything, you're going to feel the effects of it, you know, on a conscious level by day 10. And you're going to have the tools it takes to do it on your own after that. And that's yeah, what I yeah. want strongly encourage people to do. But the, I will say that the, the biggest obstacle I'm up against in dealing with the veteran population is I don't get to them before the VA does. They're loaded up on drugs. Hmm. And it's hard to heal a body that's loaded up on drugs, unless it's like marijuana, something natural, something right. from the earth or ayahuasca or something like that. Um, so there is that. So I strongly encourage if there's anyone listening out there that has a friend that's coming home, getting out of the service, and they haven't, you know, if they think they have PTSD and they haven't uh, been prescribed drugs and taken drugs, to call me. Or get a hold of me, um, or encourage them at the very least. Encourage them to do yoga first. Um, if they, I believe marijuana is the best drug for PTSD. Um, it'll make if if you do it too much, it'll get you to lock your keys in your car with your stereo running and a roach <laughs> burning in the ashtray. But if done in moderation, it can be very calming, very settling, and and very therapeutic. Um, I also highly recommend, highly recommend ayahuasca. Um, you, it's illegal here just because I think it's a controlled substance and, you know, all psychedelics yeah. are because they don't Schedule want our one. consciousness. They don't want our consciousness to grow necessarily the power <laughs> that be. So, uh, they load us up on Adderall and Xanax and all that shit. Yeah. Um, but if you take a trip to Peru, I just saw, uh, have you seen Chelsea does, no, it's, a, it's Chelsea Handler. I think she's got a she got some Showtime or HBO special, but she's got this Netflix exclusive. It's called Chelsea Does, and each episode is Chelsea Does Marriage or Chelsea Does uh, Drugs. It was the last one I saw, and it's it's just her. She's got a great personality, very personable, very real, and she has a film crew follow her around, and she talks to people that uh, that are experienced in these topics and this. So Chelsea does drugs. She went down to Peru with two of her friends and they did ayahuasca and they kept the cameras in the room. Hmm. And it's a good, I've watched, I've done ayahuasca maybe uh, three times and it was really interesting. They did it really well. I mean, they went in vulnerable, these three that, that volunteered to do it. And they were just two of her friends. And, uh, it was cool to see. It was really cool to see the transformation that was going on and how there was no, also, how there was no side effects. Not that that's an issue. Ayahuasca has no has no history of any damage to anyone. For those of that don't know, ayahuasca is DMT, and DMT is in everything, and it's scraped and it's in a concentrated form down in South America and the rainforest and all these plants. These vital is vital part of our planet down there. That's that uh, that they're using. So they take it from a certain plant uh, from the root of it. And they mix it in with all these other plants and they make this brew. Now, if you just smoke DMT by itself, it's super intense. It's about a 10 to 20 minute experience. 
And I'm not going to go into the details of it, but it's really intense. Oh, I've it's gone healing. into details on okay. my other podcast. <laughs> okay. It's 20 minutes of poetry about that, in fact. <laughs> wow. I'll have to get into that. I'll have to find out. Um, but with the ayahuasca, they're mixing it from these other plants. And what that's, those other plants are doing, it, it's cradling you. It's giving you the experience and it's drawing it out for 12 hours or 10 hours. And it's cradling you. It's giving you this experience, but it's holding you while it's giving it to you. And it is amazing. It is amazing. It will show you. It will take you out of your body, whatever that means, you know, whatever that means to anybody. But what I guess what I'm trying to say with that, it, it will it will get you to a point where you can look back on yourself, on your human self, and see all your trials and tribulations and your identity and your name and the clothes you wear and the money you make and all this stuff, all this human stuff. And it'll give you the feeling of not being human and looking back on the human part of you. And so in doing so, you can see yourself clearly. You can see all the stuff you're dealing with. And what comes up is the current stuff you're dealing with initially. You know, whether that be on a big scale, like looking at, you know, this is significant in your life right now. This situation, you being abused as a child and it playing this role in your life. And now you're ready for it to come up and out. It'll come out of your body. It'll pur You will purge your way uh, out of this. But a lot of times what it shows you is... Well, for instance, the second time I did it, I did it in Sedona, and out, I did it outside, so the stars are real vivid there. You can see the Milky Way in Sedona. It's, it's a beautiful thing, especially when the moon, moon's not out, you know, or the moon's small. Um, and I felt myself rise out of my body towards these stars that I was staring at, and at 200 feet, I turned around, I looked down, and it... I didn't know, I didn't feel it was 200 feet until I looked down. I was like, holy shit, I'm 200 feet up. And I'm looking at myself. I'm looking at this character, you know, and that's how I see him as a character, this character, this Nick guy down there doing this stuff. And, and I was able to, to tell, to discern for myself what was accurate, what I needed to be doing that I was doing. And I was also able to see the stuff I don't want to tolerate within myself anymore, specific stuff. Yeah. And I just saw how it made me feel. And it didn't make me feel good, but seeing that objectively made me feel alive. And going back into my body and tapering off and waking up the next day, falling asleep and waking up the next day, it's gone. I feel it's gone and I feel great. I feel um, significantly different. And it Last throughout the day, the high, the ayahuasca say lasts for about three days and your vibration moves fast and you don't require much sleep unless you're super tired then you will require a lot of sleep. But after that three days is over, the buzz, the drug that's in your body, the ayahuasca has worn off, but the, the change has stayed. And I do, I'll do it every year. I'll do, I'll do one a year. I don't need it more than that. I don't feel, but I do need to pull myself out and look back at my body or look back at myself every once in a while as, cause life gets busy. Life gets complicated, but it, the first time I did it, I'm back up a little bit. It was violent because I needed that. I'd been doing, you know, practicing and teaching yoga for a long time, you know, maybe I think nine, 10 years and I had worked all this stuff up to the surface and all this stuff felt like it was stuck. And I was frustrated with where yoga was taking me. And a friend, a student, 
turned me on to uh, this guy, this shaman that was coming from South America to Mount Hood is when I was living in Portland. And I, uh, I went to a ceremony and it was violent. The, the brew, the, the ayahuasca, the other plants, they give you, they, when I say they cradle you, they give you the experience you need. They give you the experience you can handle. They give you a healthy experience. They don't give you an unhealthy experience. But what I needed at that point was a violent, it needed to break loose. And it did. Boy, did it ever, man. I was ter I felt, I felt terrified. And then all of a sudden, bam, I threw, I was on my hands and knees on the lawn and uh, I dug in with my hands because that drain, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. It was accelerating and that terror and all this shit, all this bad shit, all this bad trip I was having, all this bad stuff that I was looking at in my life was coming up. And it was bad. It was real bad stuff that I needed to get out of my body, I felt. You know, I didn't know how much was there until, you know, it started showing me everything that was there and my body was contracting. And and I went over to a part of the, the property and got on my hands and knees and I dug in as much as I can. And by that point, it was spinning so fast that I felt like I was going to leave the planet. I felt like I was going to shoot up into the stars. And I dug my fingers in as much as I could. And it was sulfur. It wasn't mud or grass or dirt. It was sulfur and it was this dust from the volcano, you know, up by Mount Hood. And I yelled, this isn't going to hold. Mm. And I projectile vomited and passed out for maybe 10, 15 seconds. And I woke up and it was gone. All that shit was gone and it never came back. That isn't to say that I was enlightened at that moment, but I was certainly more enlightened and it never came back. And I, right. I, I felt like I was 12 in the sense that I'd never felt happier before. I, I was real happy when I was 12. I'd never felt happier before. Oh my God. And I forgot how that felt. It was a wonderful experience. And then every year since then, a year and a half or so I'd been doing it and I have different but similar um, experiences but n not violent. I haven't puked since then. I know how to handle it. It's great when you have when you have a con a, uh, a construct of it, and you know where you want to guide it. You will guide it in that direction, and you will be friends with it. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful experience. And I'm lucky enough to have a shaman here and uh, down in Sedona that that is just a wonderful guy, and he's just he's just an amazing dude. And and I've I've and you got to feel that way. You got to feel like you trust, trust the shaman that you're with in order, you know, cause if you have trust issues, um, you don't want to be vulnerable, really vulnerable around someone you don't trust. So, um, so he's a great guy and I'm really thankful to have him. And I strongly encourage those who make this full circle, those that are coming out of the military that might be hearing this or know somebody that is to encourage them to go down to South America or find a, you know, a uh, down low, uh, ceremony in your area, um, with a reputable, with a reputable shaman and, uh, use ayahuasca as a healing agent. Nothing ever bad has happened from an ayahuasca experience with anybody. Nothing. So, so, uh, yeah, so my program is Mind Body Resilience Training and my whole objective is to clean up and rebuild to be a 
warrior and whatever sense of the word that means to you, you know, I mean, like I said, we don't know the full potential of the human, but I want to find out. I want to find out soon. I think we need to find out soon. And, you know, don't fuck around. If you're getting into yoga, don't fuck around with, with your practice. You got to breathe into that shit that's coming up that you're stretching into. You got to line yourself up, get into alignment, learn the alignment, go to a good teacher that knows alignment or figure out, do like I did and just figure out on your own, you know, just read book after book. Iyengar's book, you know, nothing light on yoga, nothing. He misses nothing in that book. Everything is covered in that book. So you could learn a lot and not spend any money on yoga classes and just learn, you know, just go to one, go to two just to get an idea. But just get a book. And if you really have the inquiry to, to study this and study your own consciousness and clean yourself up and and be all that you can be, so to speak, then, you know, you can do it fairly affordably. So uh, um, do it. You know, use these modalities to, uh, there's a lot of them available these days and a shitload of yoga teachers, um, which I'm not too pleased about, but, you know, being in the industry, it just makes it tough. Sure, it's good for the world to have all these yoga teachers, but it also, you know, with that comes people opening up studios and uh, they all know that the only way to make money in a studio is to have teacher trainings and a lot of them just, I don't think they should be having teacher trainings, you know, uh, uh, and they're sending teachers out or spitting teachers out after 200 hours left and right. And all the teacher has to do for insurance is to send their 200 hour certificate into yoga journal or not yoga journal, uh, yoga Alliance or whoever's doing it these days. I don't even do it anymore. Um, and they'll give you a certificate and then you can get insurance and voila, you're a official yoga teacher. But, uh, and, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of them. So just pick one carefully if you are going to pick one. Pick yourself. Do it yourself. Um, you have a body. Study it. No one knows it better than you. Well, some people might because you just haven't been paying attention to it. But if you start paying attention to what's going on with stretching and breathing, not moving fast. Sure, if you're an athlete, you move fast, you know your body. Okay. But if you sit still and start stretching, you're going to get to know it more. But what if you sat still for longer and started stretching more? You would get to know it even more. And that's all it takes, just going slow, stretching into your body where it's tight, looking up the poses, looking up what – you don't need to know the names of the muscles or anything, but looking up the muscle that you're stretching and being careful, of course, not to injure yourself. That's that's, that's anger. Don't force anything. Yeah, don't force anything. Don't do anything you can't do without breath. A regulated breath for one if you're yeah. going into an unfamiliar part there will be an alarm that will go off in your body whether you listen to it or not is we we'll start with the easiest variation of the pose sure work your way toward the more difficult ones yep. it's, it's yeah it's all written down yeah so be resilient you know do squats do functional movement do jumping jacks you know kundalini and kundalini there's a lot of jumping jacks for that reason it's to raise the heat in the body for one which is what i use them for i do at the beginning of my practice but it's also to uh to heat the body up, to get the blood thin so that it carries the oxygen that's coming into your lungs easily to the working parts of your body. So that makes it efficient. You know, so I do yeah. eight minutes of circuit. I mean, my mind-body resilience training. My MBOT is available on YouTube for free, by the way, if you just do Nick Mancy Rocket Series. Nice. So, and that's M-A-N-C-I. Yep. M-A-N-C-I. And then Rocket is spelled R-O-C-K-I-T. And, uh, yeah. And that'll pop up. It's me with a red background. So I do eight minutes of circuit, which is jumping jacks, squats, push-ups, sit-ups, 
repeat three times. So uh, the body's hot and it's functional and you're bouncy and you're ready to move. Now you start with the breath. So the, the bloodstream is going to carry that oxygen, which it needs to do. You don't want to start out cold. It needs to do um, to the working parts of the body that are going to be opening up and then make the practice as thorough as possible. I, I, uh, I take you through a lot of the a lot of the major poses, the primary poses. It's pretty basic. I think the whole thing lasts, I don't know, 40, 50 minutes, maybe less. I don't remember. And But I leave out the trauma release thing because it's hard to to teach on video and let people go with it. It's, it's, a, it, it's better. If you really want to do the full practice, get a hold of me and I'll teach you how to do over the phone. I can teach you how to do the shaking part, the tremoring part, the central nervous system discharge part and then you can include that on the end of any yoga practice or MBRT or whatever. So uh, um, but the whole idea is just have an intention to fucking work through all your shit, you know, get rid of it and move on to a higher consciousness or whatever you're calling it. And don't be afraid if someone calls it something different than you. Just know what it means to you. There is there is a commonality in all these modalities, these mind-body modalities, and that's just to, you know, I'm not even going to say what it is. You, the person knows what it is inherently, so I'll just leave it at that. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the To Be a Yogi podcast today. Thank you for allowing me to spew out all this information. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, thank you very much for sharing. Well, we got to talk again. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to be in touch, and I will send you links to the, uh, the Esoteric Nerd podcast as well as my dad's page. And uh, we'll get this episode up in the next uh, few days. Great. I'll talk to you soon, Edward. Thanks for uh, letting, me, letting me speak. Absolutely. It was good talking. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, Nick Mancy, for joining us on the To Be a Yogi podcast tonight. And again, just to remind everyone, check out Bava's Fest at B-H-A-V-A-S-F-E-S-T dot com. You can also find it through the link on the webpage connected with this episode. And remember my promo code 2BYOGI. If you've been kind of grooving to this background music we've got going on, then you might want to Google Brian Dahl, B-R-Y-I-N-D-A-L-L. The other musicians are the band members of Loretta's Doll an album called Golden Dawn LVX. Thank you all for tuning in. Until next time, to the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us, and to the spirits below, we send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings.